We are in a series, and we're actually wrapping up a series. Everybody say, oh, we're wrapping up a series. We've been talking Elijah. Elijah's series has been all about helping ordinary people become, well, become, become more, become every bit of what God intended. We exist here at Greenhouse to help ordinary people like you and I become passionate followers of Jesus. And James says that Elijah was ordinary. Now, let's be honest. How many of us read the story of Elijah having a hard time believing that, right? Crazy stuff happens. Up to this point in the story, uh, miracles have happened. Elijah prayed and drought was commissioned. Elijah prayed and fire falls from heaven. Elijah prayed and someone gets literally resurrected. I'm like, that's a crazy, ordinary life right there. But, but we're digging into this story. Last week, Elijah had the showdown with the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, and God calls down fire from heaven, and Elijah kind of lays down his own gauntlet. He says, people of Israel, how long will you waver between two opinions? If you've ever been stuck in a paralysis by analysis of indecision, especially spiritual indecision, we talked last week about how your indecision, it's it's against you, it's against us, and what it looks like to go all in with holistic allegiance. This week, we've talked a lot about ordinary Elijah, and so this week I wanna camp out our conversation talking about God, his character, and specifically hearing his voice. So if you'd stand with me one more time, it's like spiritual musical chairs, I know it. As we read and honor God's word together, we're in 1 Kings chapter 19. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to chapter 19. College football is upon us. Come on, somebody. Every good and perfect gift comes from God, and we know what sport they're playing in heaven. There's a song that even says, he has a great lawn where we're gonna play football. It's not, it's not biblical, but it might be. You don't know. It's definitely not not. Uh, Miami Hurricanes fans, how we feeling? Yeah, the U, all right, representing. Uh, Florida Gator fans, it's too soon. We can't talk about that. It's just it's painful. And FSU is gonna lose tonight. So, so oh, come on. <laughs> the, the Hurricane fans, or the, it's all right, Seminoles fans, it's okay, it's okay. We'll see how you do, we'll see how you do. Uh, 19, before I get myself into trouble, verse one, if you're ready, say preach, preacher. All right. Now Ahab, remember he's the king, the evil king, leading the people astray, away from God. He told Jezebel, his literal crazy homicidal wife, killing the prophets of God. Everything Elijah had done, remember this is last week, this is immediately after the showdown. Fire falls from heaven, God shows the people that he is the Lord, and then they eliminate and eradicate the prophets of Baal, leading the people astray. So Ahab told his wife all that had happened, killed the prophets with the sword, the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may, gods, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. You ever felt like your boss was against you? Anybody ever been there before? You've probably never had your boss commission a hit on you though, right? This is a bad scenario for our boy, Elijah. And verse three, Elijah was, what does it say? Lest you thought James was not telling the truth with ordinary Elijah, Elijah was afraid. In fact, he ran for his life. Now, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, and he came to a broom tree, sounds interesting, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Just go ahead and end it here. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Elijah looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water, holy Uber Eats. He ate and drank and then lay down again. That would be very confusing, by the way. Immensely confusing. 
The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So Elijah got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. This morning, I wanna talk about how God deals with discouragement. Let's pray. Jesus, speak to our hearts. Would you call us from your word to understand your character and to lean more deeply into relationship with you than ever before? Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, turn to your neighbor, give him a high five. If you're married to him, you can give him a kiss on the lips. You're welcome. If you're not married to him, don't do that. That would be awkward and or harassment. You ever found yourself absolutely discouraged? Like you ever just found yourself in a pit where you're like, man, I cannot see how this would ever turn out well. Uh, growing up, I played hockey. I grew up here in South Florida, which sounds kind of weird, but all four of the hockey fans, one time for the hockey fans, whoo, there we go, like seven of us, yes. All right, so growing up, I played hockey. It sounds weird, I grew up here in South Florida, but when I was growing up, we have all the snowbirds that come down and bless our roads with their driving skills. Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about every single winter. And so Canada, New York, everyone comes down, right? And so when I was growing up, the Florida Panthers had just kicked off. They're our professional sports team, by the way. They went to the Stanley Cup last year. And uh, it doesn't matter, but it's awesome. And so I was a hockey player. I was a fan. I played my entire life growing up. Um, I loved it. I played in college. And, uh, and I got invited, sort of the zenith of my hockey career uh, was I got invited to play in the Junior Olympics on Team USA. It's amazing, right? Yeah, it was awesome. I was like, wow, thank you. I didn't expect the cheers, but thank you so much, wow. And, uh, and so I got invited to play. It was like a 16 and under team. I got invited to play. And um, the tournament was in Canada, so we traveled up there. Uh, there was some travel logistic issues. I got smuggled into the country. Different story, not a big deal, whatever. And, uh, but anyways, we got there and uh, we started playing. And there were teams from Australia, and there was a team from Germany, and there, were these team, there was a team from the Netherlands, and then Canada were the favorites. Um, now, if you're not familiar with our hat, our, our brothers up north, the hat of America, the great white north, Canada, um, Canada is cold. Yeah, very cold. I lived in Toronto for a year. I can attest to that. And Canadians, I mean, live, eat, sleep, breathe hockey. Like, it, it, would, it would not be too far-fetched to say, in Canada, you are most likely skating before you're walking. Like, Canada, and so they were the favorites overwhelmingly. And we were kind of, the Team USA were like middle of the pack. Here's to hoping. Um, so we get into this tournament and we beat Australia and it's like, well, how much ice do they really have in Australia? You know, and it's like, okay, yeah. But then we played Team Canada and it was a tough game and they were amazing and it was tight and it was back and forth. And in the last minute or so, we ended up scoring a goal and we beat Team Canada, USA, USA. It was amazing, it was awesome. It was so, we're so excited. And we get into the locker room and we're celebrating and we're like, all right, coach, who do we play next? And he looks at the, at the little breakdown, the tournament breakdown, he's like, oh, we play Canada. And we're like, no, we just played Canada and we won, who's next? And he's like, it says Canada. And we're like, there must be some sort of a mistake. And so we went back to the tournament board and we had not noticed before that next to the Team Canada that we had just played and beaten in a hard fought battle, there was a number three. We thought that was kind of weird. And so it says, well, and he said, well, actually this other Canada team has a number two and the one that we're playing next to advance has a number one. He's like, I'm not really sure. And so he said, but they're playing right now. Let's go out and watch. And so we walk out feeling amazing to watch Canada's 
team one play. Now, what had happened that we did not know is because they were the host, Canada had their team three, which was like their middle school equivalent. That's who we barely beat. (laughs) Then they had their team two, which was like junior varsity. And then they had their team one. And we watched five minutes of team one. And we're like, yeah, we're going to (laughs) lose. And I remember we went from this mountain and we, by the way, we played team one and they smoked us. I mean, it wasn't even close. I think we had a few shots on goal, let alone goals. It was so bad. They demolished us. And I remember this moment of like mountaintop. Yeah, we did it. Until like the pit where I'm like, oh no, we are not winning this tournament. And I thought about that story as I read this story of, of Elijah. I mean, if you've been tracking with the series, and if not, I'll catch you up to speed. And in the Cliff Notes version here, Elijah in this story, he prophesied in faith. God, God prompted his heart. He's reading the scriptures. He prophesies and says, it's not going to rain for years. And, and it doesn't rain. A drought is commissioned supernaturally by faith for years. He prays and God supernaturally provides in the midst of a famine for uh, this widow and her son. The widow's son dies. Elijah prays and the son literally gets raised from the dead. And just the chapter before, Elijah prays and says, God, show them that you're real. Fire falls down from heaven and God answers by fire. And if you're like me, you're assuming that this chapter is the celebration moment. This chapter is the, we are the champions. This chapter is the like, wow, look at this. And yet here Elijah is one chapter later praying to die. Up to this point, if you've been hearing James's sort of counter that Elijah's an ordinary person, you've maybe been like, yeah, right. But at this point, you see it. Elijah was a man, it says in James, with a nature just like ours. And here's our boy Elijah, the prophet Elijah, used by God, Elijah, discouraged, feeling defeated ready to quit even after historic wins. The same guy who a chapter earlier prays for revival and fire is now camped out under a broom tree praying for himself to die. Can you relate? Like, like is, isn't that the human condition? Like we, we hit these amazing highs and we go from a mountaintop experience to plummeting depths in what feels like a chapter. And all week long, I've just been stuck on the response of God to this ordinary hero, Elijah. Because when God shows up to Elijah in his pit, he doesn't rebuke him. He loves him. He loves him. In this chapter, we're we're given a, a powerful glimpse into the character and the nature of God. And by the way, we're given a window into viewing if this is how God treats ordinary Elijah in his moment of hardship and need, then we can bank on the fact that this is how God will treat ordinary you and I as well. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to jot this down. This passage has filled me with hope all week long. Here's a thought. God meets us and loves us where we are, not where we think we should be. Come on, somebody, that's good news. God meets us and loves us where we are, not where we think we should be. 
It's so easy to think that Elijah was not an ordinary man, an ordinary person with a nature like ours, but he is, and this passage proves it. Dive back in with me and take a look. He gets the death threat from Jezebel, which by the way, let's just be clear, God has just wiped out 450 of these jokers. Like, it's not a thing for God to do it again, and yet Jezebel gives one threat, and Elijah, well, verse three, he's afraid. He's running for his life. And when he comes to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey, came to a broom tree, sat underneath it, and prayed that he might die. Lord, I'm done. I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Elijah just hit the biggest home run ever. It's like in the glory days when Gator sports teams won national championships, they have like a Netflix documentary, Urban Meyer's talking about, they just won the second national championship. And he's like, everyone was celebrating. And I had to duck into a side room and start texting recruits because I knew nothing less than a national championship would do. There's this immense pressure, this sadness, this despondency that comes after this amazing home run moment. And I'm not sure about you, but I know I can relate because we've all had our under the broom tree moments, haven't we? Sometimes they come after historic highs and amazing moments. Sometimes they come at the very bottom of what's been a challenging week, months, years, or seasons. But we've all had our broom tree moment where we're like, man, I'm done. Lord, just take me now. I'm, it's over. I'm done. We've all had our broom tree moments. And Elijah's in a pit. He's despondent, he's discouraged, he's in the midst of his own spiritual depression, he's in the midst of this low, low point where he's just, he cannot see a light at the end of the tunnel. And it begs the question, how does God handle a dark night of the soul? How does God handle someone who's in a pit? How does God handle someone who's dealing with despair? Because from Mother Teresa to Martin Luther King Jr. and from Charles Spurgeon all the way across to Martin Lloyd-Jones, the reality is as human beings, we will have high highs and we will have what? Low lows. So how does God respond? In stunning fashion. Three things that he does. The first one is this. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to jot this down. He gives Elijah bread. He cares for his body. This is what he does. He gives Elijah bread. Look at it in verse five. Elijah lays down under a tree, falls asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel comes to him a second time touches him and says, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate again and drank again and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. That's some good food. Like whatever heavenly angelic Uber eats that is, I'm like, give me some of that. By the way, I personally like it. My, my son is gluten-free, but I am not gluten-free. And I personally love the fact that carbs are in the equation for the king of heaven. Can I get an amen for any of the bread lovers here? Like, yeah, I'm assuming it's like Texas Roadhouse, like the soft rolls with the honey butter on them. Like God hooked it up. You know what I'm saying? Like keep you going for 40 days. That's something really good. God steps in, Elijah's in a pit. You're thinking he's gonna come in and say, a beloved man of God, stand to your feet. Don't you know who is I am. God's like, got you some food. What an interest. Do you think about God in that way? Because I, I don't often. God comes to him and the first thing that he does is he sends an angel to give him some heavenly home cooking or let him run for 40 days and 40 nights. 
Here's where this just captured my heart. God is the king, right? We know this. He's, he's creator. He's God, the creator God. Like he is the alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the big show. God is the king. In fact, he's just proven his kingship literally by sending fire from heaven. He is the king and it's tempting to think, well, he doesn't really need me, which he doesn't. He's just kind of using me, which he's not. What this passage makes abundantly clear is the character and the heart of God. He is not using Elijah simply to show his kingship and authority overall. He loves Elijah. He cares for Elijah. He feeds Elijah. He cares for his body. He gives him food. He gives him bread. He cares for Elijah's physical need. He gives him a nap. Come on, somebody. Any parents in the room, you're like, that is the Lord. I knew I, knew I was supposed to come to church today. That is the Lord. A nap, yes. He gives Elijah sleep. He gives Elijah food. He gives Elijah rest. I know that we're in, in, in our cultural framework, especially in the midst of a pandemic, we've gone on to a self-care kick where we're like, man, we need to be thinking about ourselves holistically. Guess who was thinking about us holistically way before we ever got there? God. God. No one will love you like God. You can't love yourself more than God loves you. There's no way, it's impossible. Gives Elijah bread, gives Elijah sleep, gives Elijah rest. God doesn't just care about Elijah so much that he wants to send Elijah to heaven because that's what Elijah asked, to be clear. God, just take me out. God's like, no, I'm gonna send heaven to earth. God does not just care about your end game heavenly dwelling. He cares and wants, and by the way, Jesus taught us to pray on as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven as well. He cares about your life on earth. This is a reminder that before Jesus even starts talking about eternal life, which is to know God, which begins right now, God's heart has always been a holistic care for people. It's a God that gave his whole life because he cares about your whole life. It's a God who sent his whole self because he cares about your whole self. What does God do when he shows up on the scene and Elijah's in a pit? He gives him bread because he cares for his physical well-being. He cares for his body. I, I, I love all of the ways that this communicates the character and the heart of God. Like the, the same voice that set Elijah to mission, commissions him to go and, and pray for drought and, and speak to Ahab and do all of these things. The same voice that set Elijah to mission is the same God who tells Elijah to rest and eat and recoup. Which means this, friends, God's want, God wants you healthy and thriving and whole. Mind, body, soul, and spirit. He cares. He cares about every facet of your life. That's why we talk so much at Greenhouse about abiding and, and rest and Sabbath. God wants you operating from a place of rest and wholeness before you're sent. God wants you eating a, a good meal at his table before you go out and try to feed others. God cares about your life, your body, your sustenance. Does this mean life will be easy? Heaven no. Have you met Elijah? He's got a hit on his life right now. But God is near, and God is involved, and God cares, and God ministers to Elijah, brings comfort, healing, rest, and strength. God loves and cares for Elijah. Do you see it? And he cares about ordinary you too. Point number one, he gives Elijah bread. He cares for his body, but he doesn't stop there. 
Point number two, he gives Elijah time and conversation because he cares for his soul. He gives Elijah time and conversation before, because he cares for his soul. Pick up again in verse nine. God feeds him. It says, then Elijah went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And God said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So much to unpack here. Number one, Elijah is honest with God. You ever, let's say, you ever had that friend, that friend, and you know something's wrong, and you're like, hey, what's going on? What's up? No, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. And then that same friend, like a week later, is like, why doesn't anybody care about me? No one ever even asked how I was doing. I was here having a horrible time, and no one cared. And you're like, you feel like you're a crazy person. You're like, ah, uh, remember that time I asked you how you were doing, and you lied to me? Right, conviction. Someone's like, oh, who told you? Nobody told me, right? We all struggle with it. Elijah could have said, Elijah's there having a spiritual pity party. God has done all of the things for him. Elijah is there despondent. God comes and you would think, oh, this is God. And you would think Elijah would feel every sort of predisposition in the world to fake it till you make it and say, oh, bless God, bless you. Good to see ya, Father Elohim. but he doesn't do that. The, the guy is almost embarrassingly honest with God. Hey God, I know you did all the thing and resurrection and supernatural provision and they did, you won all the battles, but you left me hanging. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever been in a moment of intense fellowship with your significant other, spouse, roommates. When they begin to unpack their emotions that are, well, let's just be frank a little bit irrational. And maybe like me, you found yourself trying to show them in an enlightened sense how what they're saying is actually logically not empirically true. How did that turn out for you? Some of you are like, okay, when that happens, just a little time out here, if you find yourself in that spot where someone's like, oh, I feel so horrible and everything's bad, and you sense the spirit telling you to let them know that, no, it's really not that bad. You just need to be, stop being so emotional about it. Last words someone ever said. Stop being so emotional about it. You just need to be logical. That's not the spirit of the Lord. That is the spirit of stupid that has come upon you. Don't do that. Can I get an amen, especially to some of the ladies here? All right, so here's what God could have done. Is Elijah telling the truth empirically? I'm the only one left. Is that true? No, how do you know that? Because at the end of the story, God's like, uh, and actually, Elijah, there's 7,000 people. In but does God do that right away? Nope. What's God doing? God is doing empathic listening and understanding. God is doing cutting edge counseling and psychology. Before we ever even knew what it does, God is living and writing the textbook. God is just sitting there and saying, Elijah, I'm just gonna feel it before I fix it. We're gonna get somewhere, but I'm just gonna, God is just listening in fact, God, like, look at God. This is God, the king. And Elijah is totally freaking out in his feelings, not even telling truth to God. And God says, God, not, God just listens. In fact, he does even more than listen. God leans in even more in empathic understanding and says, Elijah, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna give you a hug. This will convict and preach the heaven into you. God says, you know what, Elijah, I... 
I see you. I love you. Because here's, here's the moral of the story. It may not be empirically real, but if it feels real, it's real. And it's deserving of compassion and care and concern. So not only does God listen to Elijah's heart-level spiritual tantrum, he leans in and says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show up. You don't just need words right now, you need me. I'm gonna show up. And he gives him his presence. Man, what Elijah's saying empirically is not even true. I'm the only one left. No, you're not. At least 7,000 others. You ever exaggerated before? <laughs> like, it's only me. Ah, 7,000. <laughs> Do the math. But God doesn't rebuke him. God doesn't say, come on, Elijah. Seriously, you're being so emotional right now. He just listens. He just listens. In fact, he leans in even more with empathy and compassion. He gives him his presence. This is like a marriage sermon right now, all right? So preach. How many of you want a friend like that? Anybody else? You're like, that is like the best friend anyone could ever have. Like when I am in my field, and we know it sometimes, like I know I'm being irrational, but I feel it so palpably. It's almost like God is, well, it's almost like he's the friend that sticks closer than even a brother. It's almost like he's the one that your soul has been designed to be in relationship with, almost. It is. We know the message of ordinary Elijah. It's that if, if someone, if an ordinary person, if you, if me, if, if us, if Guyana, if an ordinary person like you and I could just abide and pray, spend time listening to God, not be so distracted with everything that we're pausing and listening, and then have the faith to step out to expect and obey, amazing things can happen. Here's what's happening in this story. The trajectory spiritually of an entire nation is being shifted towards flourishing and health from the obedience of ordinary Elijah. But it's so easy to skip to the end of the story. And if we do that and say, yeah, I've, I, know, I know the story. And then, and then he wasn't in the fire and he wasn't in the wind. It was a still small voice. I know I love me. But if you jump to the end of the story, you've missed a key and important step in the narrative. Because before you can accurately hear his voice, you have to know his heart. If you're expecting someone sounds like one way, but they sound a different way. You could be listening all you want, but you never hear because you don't know what they sound like. You've gotta understand his heart, his, his character, his nature. This all came together this week. I was I'm thinking on this thought, I'm like, man, it is just, this passage so beautifully reflects the heart of God in ways that we so often miss him. We're doing a, a Bible reading plan together as a church family. It's called Fluent. If you want, you're welcome to jump in. We, we started, we're going through the entire Bible in 18 months. If you go through this with us, I, it's like one or two chapters of reading a day. It's nothing crazy. Give, give 10 minutes to your spiritual growth and development each morning, and I'm telling you, you'll be so happy you did. So we're reading this as a microchurch. We have a bunch of people in our microchurch reading this together, and we do it on the Bible app so we can chat back and forth and answer questions and dialogue, and it's great for community, and it's great for Bible fluency, and microchurch leaders take notes and try it out. So we're doing this, and we happened to be in 1 Samuel this week in our Bible reading plan that we're doing together as a microchurch in the Fluent Bible reading plan. And, and as I'm thinking about this thought of God's heart and his voice and how do these two things work together, I came upon the story of Samuel. If you remember it, Samuel is there and he's a young boy learning to be a priest. He's sort of a priest in training. And in the middle of the night, he hears this voice and the voice is God, but who does Samuel think it is? His mentor, his protege, Eli. 
and, and he keeps going back and he hears God, literally, that's what happens. He hears God, but he doesn't recognize God. And so he goes back to Eli and says, Eli, what do you want? And finally, Eli's like, oh, after like several times, Eli's like, oh, I think I know what this is. This is God. Samuel will tell him, hey, God, I'm here. What's up? Paraphrase. And it says this about Samuel, First Samuel 3. It says, now Samuel did not yet, what does it say? Know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Here's what I need you to understand. Samuel is literally hearing the words and the voice of God. But because he doesn't know God, he doesn't recognize that's what's happening. Is it possible for some of us in this room, some of us online in Guyana, you're like, I don't even know if God's real. He's never talked to me. Is it possible he's actually been speaking to you for quite some time now? And you just haven't gotten yet to know his character, his heart, the sound of his voice in order to recognize his voice and know that it's actually him speaking. You've got to know his character to recognize it's him speaking. And by the way, if you're wondering, well, what's actually at stake here? I mean, how big of a deal is knowing, recognizing the voice of God? Well, Jesus said it like this. In his moment of greatest need, in the midst of his temptation by the devil himself in the wilderness, Jesus, paraphrasing Deuteronomy, said, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every what? Word that comes from the mouth of God. In his most challenging survival moment, maybe that in Garden of Gethsemane, top two at least, right? Jesus is there being tempted in the wilderness. He's hungry. He's out there. And and when he is tempted, he references Deuteronomy and says, man, you know, I don't just need food to live. I need God's word. I need God's voice. By the way, he's referencing, he's quoting Deuteronomy. Anytime in the scriptures, this is just a good discipleship thought. Anytime in the scriptures you see something specifically referenced multiple times, it's God's way of saying, pay attention. Anytime you see the word, literally the God man referencing something, it's a way to say, mega, 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 pay attention. Like underline, bold, italicize, all of the things. This is huge. God cares for your body. God responds first by making Elijah a meal. God cares for your body. You you need bread. Can I get an amen? It's vital. It's essential. You you need bread. There there are so many things in, in the natural, but man does not live by bread alone. We are holistic beings. We are body, soul, and spirit. Like, do all of the things in the natural. I'm gonna hit a little litany. Like, go to bed on time. Exercise, get enough sunlight, go to a doctor, get a counselor, eat healthy. Like, yes and amen, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Like, do all of the things in the natural, but if you only do the things in the natural, you are missing out on the flourishing that is intended by your very design and constitution. Why? Because man does not live on bread alone, but on every word. Friend, you need his voice. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's true. It's true. You, you, need, you were made to hear his voice. Psalms 29, it says it like this. It says, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of God, it breaks the cedars, the cedars of Lebanon, God's voice. There is nothing as powerful, friends, as the voice of God. You ever felt that before? You ever been in a spot where God's voice just changed everything? My wife Nancy and I and our family, were on sabbatical for the first time ever, and, and it was amazing and great time with the family, so many great memories, but the highlight of sabbatical for me personally 
came about five, five and a half weeks in when we were in Panama. We were staying at, at a friend's place, and it was amazing. We were having so much fun. And, and in, a, in miraculous fashion, the kids napped every single afternoon. It was like right there. I'm like, God's kingdom has come. Yes, this is amazing. But it got even better because every single afternoon, God just kind of showed up and, and met me. And I remember one afternoon in particular, I was there spending time with God, reading a book, reading my Bible, and, and, and I got brought to the story of Joshua. And at the very beginning of the story, Joshua, he's, he's going to be doing this military conquest. God has called him to it, and he, he runs into this big buff commander military dude, and he doesn't know him. And so Joshua says, hey, are, are, you, are you on our side, or are you on our enemy's side? And, and if you remember the story, the guy's response is, no. <laughs> Which is just not an answer. No. He said, no, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And God spoke to me. And it wasn't an audible voice, but it was so clear in my heart. And God said, son, I love you. And I was like, I love you too. He said, but I don't need you. And it was this beautiful reminder where God just said, son, when you're reaching out in prayer because you love Greenhouse, you love that church family, just remember, you're not, I, you're not asking me to come and help your team win. Like, you, you don't have a team. You're on my team. And by the way, my team always wins because I'm amazing and I'm God and that's what I do. And my team always wins. And, and in fact, I didn't ask you to join my team. This is God to John. I didn't ask you, John, to join my team because I need your help winning. Like, I'm, we're gonna do fine. We're gonna win anyway. I helped you. I asked you to join the team because I like you. So chill out. It'll be fine. Let's keep doing it. And I can't explain it. And I know it. It's like, I preach it. I know it. And yet it, we're, we're so, it's like we got spiritual ADD as humans. Like we all drift like sheep, scripture says. We go astray. And it's like a weight fell off my shoulders. I can't describe it as anything other than liberating. That one conversation with God, I'm telling you, it's like the next seven years until the next sabbatical, I'm like, Phew, that'll put gas in the tank for that. Let's go. You ever had a moment like that? You're stressed, you're anxious, you're in the middle of something, and, and in the midst of it all, you're like, oh, I, I should pray right now. And you pause, and God just speaks. And it changes everything. To be clear, it might change nothing in the immediate. Your situation's still the same, that person's still the same, your boss still might be possessed. Nothing changes in the natural, but all of a sudden, everything changes. Why? Because God spoke. He gives Elijah bread, he cares for his body. He gives Elijah time and conversation, he cares for his soul. And finally, lastly, he gives Elijah purpose. Everybody say purpose. He gives Elijah purpose. Look at this in verse 15. God comes to him and says, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son, of Nimshi, Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, lots of names. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Look at what God does. Like, check out God the Father here. Initially, he just meets him, provides for his body, physical rest, nourishment, sustenance. Then he just listens, cares for his soul. But finally, he commissions Elisha and gives him purpose. 
finally he does step in and say, well, now that, now that you know I'm here and I'm with you and I'm sitting with you in it, let's, let's talk. And he commissions a lot. Okay, you're gonna go out and you're gonna get this guy and you're gonna get this king and then you're gonna anoint this leader. And, and God sort of takes his sights internally and helps him shift his gaze in a very helpful external direction. Here's what God is doing. God is meeting Elijah's hierarchy of needs before we ever even knew that was an official thing we penned. He starts in the most visceral level with your physical needs. Then he moves to the deeper emotional and spiritual needs. And finally, he commissions him with destiny and purpose. And God makes clear, Elijah, I, Elijah, I love you. And my purpose for your life is bigger than just you. This is beautiful. This vision from God that he gives to Elijah, he says, you're gonna go and you're gonna anoint Hazael and Jehu and Elijah. The vision from God that he gives him, it's for discipleship, it's for destiny, it's for legacy. He says essentially, hey, go and you're gonna raise up other people. Jesus said like this, you're gonna go and make disciples, baptizing people, teaching them to obey. By the way, this is still the same way he operates today. And I, and I love this because this is so true of the human experience. I did a bunch of study and reading over sabbatical on grief, really wanted to dive in and process through my dad passing suddenly a couple years ago. And, and one of the big things about grief is you need to be able to be in your grief and also have a vision that extends beyond your grief while still walking through your grief. Like you need all of the above. This is what God does for Elijah. He sits with him in it, but he gives him a vision for the future. Essentially, Elijah is allowing God to be his self-care director. Elisha's there in a pit and God's like, no, right now you just need to chill and you need to eat, it's snack time. Then he says, all right, now, now you need to take a nap. Elijah wakes back up, he's like, all right, I'm ready. God's like, no, round two, you need some more food. Okay, I'm ready. Nope, now you need another nap because you got a 40 day journey, it's gonna be a while. And finally, when God knows he's ready because they've been in deep relationship and he's been hearing his voice, God says, all right, now I got a mission for you. Let's go. There's destiny. There's purpose because we know inherently the, the sum total purpose of our lives is not just our lives. It's legacy, it's impact. We wanna make a difference. God is the one who gives it to him. Maybe a great launching point from this is let God be your self-care director. If you direct care for yourself, you are yourself, which means you have massive blind spots. If God, the one who created you is the director, things can go very good. I've watched this being lived out, by the way. I've watched my mom live this out in a very amazing way. My mom and dad, my dad passed suddenly a couple years ago. You guys were married 50 years, 48 years. Been together all the time. I mean, always together, inseparable. And, and my mom has grieved and, and gone through that process and been very honest with it. And, and yet she's still walking forward and... And I remember the first conversation where it had to be like, okay, there's, there's mission and purpose. And my mom had been in ministry and she was supposed to speak at the church. And it was a couple months after my dad passed. And I finally had to broach that conversation. I called my mom. I said, hey, mom, no pressure. Like, I don't, you could totally not do this, but I also didn't want to like take this away from you and then feel like, you know, so like, what do you want to do? Do you want to do it? Do you not want to do it? Do you want to do it with me? Like, how do you want it? And she said, she said, thank you for calling. I appreciate it. She said, no, 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 I, I don't want to do it by myself. Like I would, but. She said, I'd like to do it. If you do it with me, I'll speak. And some of you remember this. And this is what she said. She said, you know, your father was the love of my life, but he wasn't my first love. She said, Jesus is. And now I'm following his lead. And I've watched her live that. And mom, just to honor you, I've watched her live that over and over and over again saying, 
Jesus, in the midst of hurt and pain and disappointment, I'm yours and I'll follow your lead. This is what Elijah did. Say, John, I'm in. Okay. I'm, I get it. Ordinary Elijah, it's ordinary me. We deal with real challenges and hardship and loss and suffering, but, but I'm in. If God could use ordinary Elijah to shift the spiritual trajectory of an entire nation, maybe he can use ordinary me to shift the trajectory of my workplace or my classmates or my circle of influence or my family. John, I'm in. So how do I do it? I wanna make it real practical here at the end. How do I recognize God's voice? That's a question on the table. At the end of the day, the, the amazing realities of this story don't come down to Elijah's proficiency as a communicator or Elijah's strength or boldness as a leader because he's afraid just like you and I. But Elijah paused and heard God's voice and then when God spoke, he stepped out in faith and in the midst of fear and obeyed. How do I recognize God's voice? If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to jot this down and give you at least a few skeletal buoys to sort of anchor your course around. Number one is you gotta know his word. You gotta know his word. I mentioned the important nature of understanding God's character and his heart so that you can recognize his voice. This is where God's word is paramount. You, in God's word, you know his character and you know his revealed will. By the way, a great starting point here, God's voice will never contradict God's word. God's voice will never contradict what God has laid out in his word. And so the first starting point is, I think God's speaking to me. Well, does it line up with his word? Well, yeah, I think so. Okay, you may now, you know, you can pass go. Okay, take one step forward. If it does not, here's, here's the answer. You heard wrong. You heard wrong. I know we try to make it all like spiritual spooky, like, oh, what do I do? It's like, are you a human being? Yes. Okay, do you make mistakes ever? Your spouse can answer that, right? It's like heaven, yes. Okay, you heard wrong. That's okay, it happens. You learn to hear God's voice like you learn to ride a bike. By the way, we get all sorts of weird about this one. Like we, we oftentimes go from a very strange, like, oh, I don't know, like getting ahead of myself. Noah's word, it's the essential starting litmus test. Number two, if it passes go on lining up with God's word or in general with God's heart and his character, number two, you consult trusted community. These are not the knuckleheads that you went to high school with that you love, but you're like, God help me, I don't wanna end up anything like them. Don't ask them, okay? Just love them from an appropriate distance. All right, what you wanna do is you consult trusted community that have a track record of wisdom and sound judgment. This is where a space like a microchurch could be immensely helpful. This is where you go to spiritual leaders in your life. This is echoing the wisdom of Proverbs, which says that in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. This is you leaning in and saying, hey, I feel like God is saying this. What do you think, microchurch leader? I feel like God is saying this. What do you think, microchurch friend that is a buddy of mine? That I, I, I feel like God is saying this. What do you think, pastor? What do you think, spiritual mentor? This is where you lean it, you bounce it off other people because we, we miss it sometimes. We're fallible, we're humans. That's okay. Now, if you ask the question, does God really want to speak to me? The answer from Jesus is yes. In John 10, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I call them and they follow me. The expectation from Jesus for normative biblical Christianity is that God's people are going to hear his voice. That's what Jesus said at least. Now, if we ask the question, well, how often is God speaking to people? How often does God wanna to speak to me? I got a chance to talk with Zach, him and Kayla are our worship directors and Zach's got a big passion in this area, actually, as does my mom. Him and Matt did a summer discipleship class on how to hear God's voice. How many of you did that? You find that helpful? How to hear God's voice. And uh, I said, Zach, what have you found to be helpful for people in this arena? 
He said, well, I just ask him, so I'll ask you the same question. Um, how often are you tempted to sin? I was like, wow, that's an intense question. All right, so you don't have to answer out loud. Just think about it. How often are you tempted to sin? Some of you are so spiritual, and then you're lying. So every day, right? Most likely every day. Maybe every other day. Every day. And if we're being more candid, it's probably regularly throughout the day of the every day, right? You're like, what did I thought? You know, okay. So let's say it's, it's that level of habitual. Do you think that's all you? Or do you think there's some external help happening? Like maybe the enemy of your souls, the, the devil, demonic, right? Some of it's probably flesh stuff. That's good Bible. It's just like you know, the war within. But some of it is probably the enemy of our soul who we know is actively looking to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay. So if you would be willing to say that based off of the inclination to go against God's will and his word, the enemy is tempting you, the flesh is going against you every day, maybe all day, every day, it feels like some weeks, do you really think God is speaking to you less? Of course not. He loves us way more than the devil hates us. He's gonna be speaking. So then it's not, matter, it's not a matter of whether God is speaking, but it becomes a question of whether we are able to hear and recognize his voice. Are you tracking with me? And here's what I was gonna say. You learn to hear God's voice like you learn to ride a bike. Awkwardly, clumsily, with mistakes along the way. Now, this is where it gets, it gets scary. It's like, okay, biblically, we're supposed to hear God's voice. Amen. Does, is it always audible? No. Oftentimes, it sounds like something in your heart. Okay, but, but what if I, and this is where we freak out. Well, what if I blow it? What if I get it wrong? Like, what if I say something and it's not on and like their entire spiritual trajectory gets shifted forever? Like, do you really think you're that potent? <laughs> For real, like, and if you are, do you think God is less potent and he can't like fix that, Right? The other thing is often we do this crazy jump where we start off and we're like, okay, this kind of freaks me out or if it terrifies me or makes me nervous, like, I don't know. And and so we sit in the space of, I don't know about hearing God's voice and stepping out. I know it's all throughout Elijah and it's actually all throughout the Bible, but I don't know. And then we move to a spot of like, okay, I'm gonna give it a shot. And then often I can't explain, all of a sudden we jump into like, and now I am a prophet. It's like, don't make it, please, nobody make business cards after this talk. Nobody start calling yourself, if you call yourself prophet or prophetess so-and-so, I will, I will be very upset, all right? Don't do it. I was gonna say something else. Don't do it. Just, here, here's what I'm trying to say. You can be brave and bold and obedient and full of faith and be humble. Here's what it looks like in my life. I've been trying to follow Jesus, step out, follow his voice, all that stuff for 20 years now. Here's what I say still every single time. I shared the airplane story with you a couple weeks ago. Hey, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. And, and, and I was just praying and I felt like God put on my heart. Yeah. You hear that? I felt like, I, I was, you know, I was just, I was thinking about you, coworker. And man, I, I pray for you because I care about you. And I had this thought, maybe it's, maybe it's on, what do you think about it? It's God's job to convince or confirm. It's your job to step out in obedience, but you don't have to say, thus saith the Lord, coworker. Don't be weird. Don't be weird. Just be honest. Hey, I'm totally like, why? Don't try to fake like you're a pro. You're a rookie. Just own your rookie status and be like, hey, I'm totally just trying this for the first time. I might be off. And then share. And then I'll be like, oh my gosh, that's totally on. You're like, oh, thank you, God. Yes, of of course. Yeah. (laughs) You guys hear my heart here? When you step out to hear God's voice, realize you're riding a bicycle and you're going to fall off and there's going to be training wheels and you're going to like, 
Step out in humility. Let God's word tether what you're hearing. Run it by trusted community. And then be, be humble and give people the gift of saying, I think this might be something for you. What do you think? Or hey, maybe just chew on it. Or tell me if that resonates with you. You said, John, how's it gonna look? Like, if this could happen with ordinary Elijah, this could happen with ordinary John, with ordinary Pam spiritual music, with ordinary Cece. This could happen. What's it gonna look like? I have no idea. I have no idea. God's so creative. It's amazing. It could look all sorts of ways. For Samuel, it sounded like Eli. That's what God's voice sounded like. For Elijah, it looked like a meal and a nap and a whisper. It's a natural feeling because you were made for this. You were literally wired to hear God's voice. It could be like one guy in our church family who was driving by a billboard and half of the billboard got chopped off somehow and God spoke to him through it and it culminated in being set free from decades of addiction because God spoke. It could be like another guy who was just out fishing and he sensed that little tug on his heart to go speak to this other guy fishing and God was already at work unbeknownst to him and it ended up culminating in this guy who was just out there fishing. His life got changed and his family got changed and his destiny and his eternal trajectory got shifted forever. Could look like a wise one in our church just within the last few weeks who said, man, I, just, I, I felt something in my heart that I was supposed to share with this college age student that looked like they could have been my kid or grandkid even. And I was just like, ah, and I, and I shared it. And it, it led to this amazing conversation that ended up leading to a life-changing moment. It could look like ordinary you tapping into extraordinary God with faith in spite of fear because you know he loves you and he has good plans. Plans to prosper, not to harm. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So here's what I wanna do. Right now, we're gonna culminate this series and our time together by taking communion. On your way in, you should have got one of these communion cups. If you have those elements, you can pull them out. If you did not get those, if you wanna wave your hand, we've got some of the ushers in the back that can get those to you. Just keep them raised so they can find you. They're coming around, they're coming around. Fear not, they are coming. We got buckets on either side, so just look to your left, look to your right. They will make sure you get them. Don't put your hand down until you do. Up to this point in the story, Elijah seems anything but ordinary. If we're being honest, he, he seems almost perfect. Elijah prays, he abides, he steps out, he obeys in faith but now you see it now you believe it he's ordinary he's ordinary he's under the broom tree he's despondent he's afraid he's discouraged he's done he's ready to throw in the towel and yet in the midst of it all God still loves him God cares so, so deeply for him so holistically for him he cares for his body he cares for his soul finally he gives him purpose and I was stuck on this thought because in the midst of a cultural moment where there's been so much hardship and so much suffering and so much death and so much carnage it's easy to ask the question yeah John I know God cares for Elijah Mr. Spiritual like he's in the Bible I'm not like, I know, I know God, he, he cares for Elijah's body. He cares for his soul. But John, up to this point, the trajectory of my life has sure led me to believe that maybe while God cares for Elijah, he's forgotten about me. To 
because you even remember. And then it hit me. If you're reading this story, it's very tempting to think, oh man, if God did that, like if God did that for me, if in the midst of my dark night of the soul, if in the midst of my pit, if God sent me an angel, then I would know then I would know that he loves me. If in the midst of my hardest moment, God sent a literal angel to make me some Uber Eats from heaven, then I would know. If God did that, then I would know. And friends, listen, you need to, you're, you're missing it. The same God who sent an angel to Elijah sent his son to us. There's no better Representative, God put himself in a skin suit and came himself because he does love you. How do I know? Because he already did it. He already proved it. He already demonstrated that love on the cross. And that is what we do right now when we take communion. In the room, online, in Guyana, we remember. See, we need someone who gets us. He does. We need someone who, who knows what it's like to be hungry, to be hurt, to feel betrayed. He does. We need someone who knows when tragedy comes, when a loved one is lost, who knows how to weep friends. He does. We need a God with a nature like ours, but a nature better than ours, who was perfect, who did not have sin. And there's only one, and his name is Jesus. He's the better Elijah. He's the one who experienced all the hardship, challenges, and temptations of this world, and yet without sin, with a nature like ours, but even better than ours. And he's the high priest who can empathize. And no matter your struggle and no matter your hardship, I might not know it. I don't know every individual scenario in this room, but he does and he cares. And he's the holy one who lived perfect and conquered sin and conquered death, and he loves us and he died and he rose from the dead offers restoration and redemption, reconciliation, freedom and right standing with God. And we remember that right now as we take communion. Here's been my prayer all week long. I'm, that, I'm praying that in this moment, as we take time to pause and meditate and reflect, ask him to speak. And a matter of fact, meet him with honesty, just like Elijah did. If you're in a pit right now, tell him. If you're discouraged right now, let him know. If you're frustrated, if you're angry right now, say, God, where have you been? He's not afraid of your emotions. He already knows they're there. He's waiting for you to communicate like any good friend would. Tell him. And then ask him to speak. We're not gonna sing anything. We're gonna save verbal space for God to be the one to say. I want you to take some time. And at the very end, I'll come back up We'll take this communion together. You know his character. Now I'm praying you'd hear his voice. Jesus, would you speak? It's your promise, Lord, from your word that your sheep, your people, your sons and daughters, they hear your voice and you call them by name individually and they follow you. Lord, would you do that right now? Speak, Lord, like Samuel said, your servants, your kids. Your people are listening. Let's take a moment.
you continue to speak? Would you continue to move? Scripture tells us that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and there gathered with his friends, his disciples at a Passover Seder. He broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we remember your body, which was broken because you loved us so deeply. You wanted to make us whole. Let's take it together. It goes on to say in the same way he took the cup, the cup after supper. This would have been what had been celebrated for thousands of years up to that point. It was the cup of redemption. It still is in the Passover Seder to this day. And Jesus said, now when you do this, you're not just remembering the redemption that I brought for your forefathers way back then in Egypt. You are now remembering my blood which is shed for the redemption and the forgiveness of your sins, for the healing of your body, First Peter says. If you need a supernatural touch from God in your life, in your body, he gave Elijah bread because he cares for his body. Right now, you can just look to him in faith. Jesus, we ask in accordance with your word that by your stripes, we would be healed. First Peter says that it's by your stripes that we were healed, that we are healed. Lord, we look to you as the healer and we ask that you would bring supernatural restoration by your shed blood. We look to you in faith. We love you so much. Let's take the cup together. Why don't we close like this? If we could all stand to our feet. I wanna pray a blessing over you. And if I could get our prayer partners up here to line the front. I'm about to end and, and close out and pray a blessing over you, but... But if you heard God's voice and you're like, man, I, 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 gotta, I, gotta talk, I gotta share that with someone. I gotta talk to someone. I gotta pray with someone. Or maybe you did not yet hear his voice, but you're like, I would love some prayer. Maybe God's gonna speak to you before you're done. You don't have to just shoot out the back. We'd love to pray with you before you go. We've got a bunch of amazing, ordinary people up here who love Jesus and would love to be a source of encouragement in your life. Online, if you need prayer, you can request it right there in the chat. We'll send something back. We can set up a meeting, coffee, lunch. We'd love to see you in person at some point soon. If you need prayer for anything specific that we talked about this morning or just in general, we'd love to pray with you. Lord, thank you for this church family. Lord, thank you for this journey of faith that we've taken through the life of Elijah. Lord, here we are, ordinary people. We love you and we wanna passionately follow you. Lord, would you give us ears to hear your voice and would you give us courage, deep love to step out and follow your lead even in the midst of our fear to see your kingdom come in our world, in our lifetime, in our context. The Lord bless you and keep you, church. Make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, lift up his face, his countenance upon you and give you his shalom, shalom, his perfect peace. I pray God's blessing over you in Jesus' name, amen.